0: Testing one two three. Testing one two three. Hey guys, welcome back to Story Time Podcast. I am your host Haley Lira, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in with me. I really enjoy doing this. If you wouldn't mind, please leave me a five star review on Apple Podcasts if that's where you enjoy this podcast. At I say five stars. I know honesty is always the best policy, so please do go on and leave me a review. Anyway, you can also reach out to me at storytimepods at gmail.com or you can follow my Instagram story underscore time underscore Slayer or my Facebook page, which is just at storytime Slayer. Let's get started. Today, we're going to be talking about the cyanide poisonings in Seattle that took place in King Country, Washington, however, which is a little bit more north in the Pacific Northwest region let's start off with the first known poison victim susan snow so interesting susan snow was actually an identical twin at the time of her death she was 40 years old mother of two on her third marriage to a man named paul webking susan was a great person she was described to be very vibrant and popular ever since high school. She had a really young pregnancy in high school with a man named Jackie, but things didn't work out between them. Later, she got with a man named Connie. Her family really didn't want her to be with Connie. He was a blue collar worker, but she loved him. And her dad said, Okay, wait, one year before you pack up and haul off and move one year of dating so she did and after exactly a year she packed up her and her first daughter and they moved to be with him in Washington so they had another child together so this gives them two girls and Susan was described to be a really great person people really liked her but oh my gosh you guys she was a flirt And she was a cheater. She had several extramarital affairs. Uh, Eventually, her and Connie separated over them. In fact, she, like, left him, packed it up, moved to New Mexico to be with a paraplegic Hispanic man. And when that didn't work out, Connie paid for her to come back. Connie said that he loved Susan so much and maintained that she was always enough for him. She made him feel super special and would even dote on him but he wasn't enough for her it's like she couldn't help it they did eventually divorce after several years of being separated and then sue was introduced to paul webb king her youngest daughter Haley, she actually saw paul with her friend it was her friend's dad and she had the idea of introducing him to her mom He wasn't in the circle of men that Susan had begun to show interest in and date. She had begun to date like more doctors, lawyers, and prestigious people as she worked her way up the ladder at the bank and he was a truck driver but they were described to be really happy together and that his really laid-back personality kind of counteracted her personality being a bank manager she had to constantly be pleasant at work and Paul said this sometimes just really took it out of Susan and she just wanted to like kick back and that's kind of how they worked out so well together although they were not quite the perfect match so that's a little bit about Susan now the day Susan fell ill was June 11th around 6.30am 1986 her and her younger daughter Haley were the only ones home and they got up in the morning and began their normal routines part of Susan's routine was that she popped two Excedrin for the caffeine rather than waiting for coffee to kick in y'all Excedrin contains caffeine I did not know that until like a year ago So, she started her sink water, and while her sink water began running, she just suddenly collapsed. Haley, who was showering, she heard a thump, but she didn't really think that much of it until she got out of the shower and heard her mom's sink was still running. She knew her mom's routine so well that she knew this was odd for her mom's sink to still be running, and she went in there to check on her. And when she did, she found Susan on the floor, unconscious, gasping for air. Haley, a teenager, knew from class not to administer CPR if someone was, in fact, still breathing on their own. But I don't think that she really knew what to do, because next she called a family friend who had to tell her to call 911. When paramedics arrived, Susan had a faint pulse. She was life-flighted to Harborview Hospital, where she later died. Everybody was shocked, and it was discovered in her autopsy that she had died of cyanide poisoning. See, cyanide has a very odd odor. It actually is described to smell like bitter almonds, but only part of the population can smell it. And the medical examiner assistant who was there for her autopsy could smell it. So that's how they narrowed down that it was cyanide. Now they quickly made the connection to Excedrin because there had been a nationwide recall on Tylenol for this same thing a few years prior, the Chicago Tylenol poisonings. And what this did was they led to a nationwide recall and they released the lot number that Susan Snow's Excedrin came from. It was so heavily publicized and it also came with a $300,000 reward for any information. Initially, everybody thought Paul did it paul was literally living everyone's worst nightmare y'all because he didn't do it he was being accused of murder and he actually looked guilty apparently paul did not appear to be grieving deeply enough like for example he did take susan off life support really fast her family was literally getting on planes to fly in to say say their goodbyes and he took off life support before they can even get there He also said that Susan bought capsule Excedrin instead of tablets because they were easier for her to swallow. But everybody adamantly maintains that that is not true and Susan only took tablet Excedrin. Even co-workers said this. Plus there was the issue of after Susan passed, nobody could find any of her jewelry. Paul had just mysteriously lost it all everyone insisted that susan only took tablets because of the chicago tylenol murders see what happened was in 1982 several bottles of tylenol had been laced with cyanide in chicago and it killed seven people now they did a major recall like 30 million bottles were recalled and that's worth over a hundred million dollars but they never found the killer it's just so crazy to me because like how ironic is it to die of medicine tampering when you fear it so much the chances are so slim that this happened to her when police searched paul's truck they also overlooked a bottle of excedrin and paul told susan's sister that this happened and a couple other people but rather than turn it into police or mention it again he decided just to destroy it Susan's family was so torn because they didn't want Paul to be in trouble if he didn't kill Susan but they didn't know if he killed Susan or not honestly Paul looked really really guilty and it's so sad he was heavily scrutinized I mean he was scrutinized for shirts that he wore it was mentioned a couple times that he wore like a Hawaiian shirt on more than one occasion this is just some grieving truck driver whose wife's passed and he really actually didn't kill her, but it looks like he killed her. Okay. So luckily the real killer inserted herself though into this equation. She put herself in the middle of the investigation. We're going to dive in to our killer, Stella Nichol and why Susan Snow lost her life as a part of a scam that Stella was running. So who is Stella Maudine Nicole? Well, the sad thing about the story of Stella is you can definitely see the cycle of poverty that her lineage is stuck in. Stella was born the summer of 1943 to a very poor family. She was the sixth child to a very rough, tough, hardworking parents, but her dad was a really bad alcoholic. And her mom spent a lot of time following or chasing him after work to all the bars. So they grew up in kind of less than ideal circumstances. For one, they didn't really have running water a lot of the time. And for two, there were some sexual abuse claims about Stella's father. He also became a really abusive asshole. One time he actually threatened to shoot them and they had to all hurry up and gather the younger kids and run out of the house while he was aiming his gun and shooting at them running away but Stella was really young during all of that so she didn't remember and she didn't know much about her father's sexual assault on her sisters and such so she did know that she never saw him again they moved to Colorado and this was at the end of World War II when they moved to Colorado Stella's mom split the kids up to different family members until they all could move to Oregon together Stella's mom had a job at a mill, and she was gone all the time. The kids kind of had to fend for themselves. So the eldest children would have to cook the food, start the fire, and etc. So when one of the older girls mistook the kerosene oil for coal oil, trying to start the stove fire, she actually ignited the can of kerosene oil and panicked, and she threw it on the porch where Stella was now stella was only five and the kerosene oil actually got spilled onto her when her sister threw it and it caught her leg on fire fortunately where her mom worked was really close and her mom heard her screaming on her way home and so she hightailed it up there where she was able to tackle stella and put out the fire it was a pretty bad ordeal though stella had to get skin grafts and was in the hospital for a while later stella's mom did remarry But it was a repeat of her first husband. He was a mean drunk who would beat her mom up. Despite this, though, they actually had a new baby brother. Her mom had a baby with this man. And in 1951, the family of eight lived in a two-bedroom apartment. Stella's oldest sister had already left home um, at 14. I do want to say that the apartment they lived in was below the rendering plant that both her parents worked at. And rendering plants are where they harvest what they can use leftover of dead animal carcasses, basically. And it stinks so bad. It smells so bad. So anyway, Stella's stepdad, though, at the time, baby Joey's father, actually moved to Alaska for work. And supposedly he got an Eskimo pregnant and was forced to stay there. And he just never came back. They just, I guess that ended it which is so crazy to me so as usual the kids were left to fend for themselves it's been years since the eldest child moved out and this time Stella and Berta were gonna light the stove when they mistook kerosene oil for log starting oil and it instantly went up in flames but like this time the whole stove went up in flames and the house was on fire her and her sister had to go through a bedroom window and poor baby joey who was in his high chair was stuck in the high chair in an area of the kitchen that they could not get to because the fire was burning too big and too hot now they tried to get him and everyone suffered severe burns from it they tried to hose it down from the outside while they waited for help but baby joey did not make it out of the fire So, so far in little Stella's life, she's had a really hard life. The kids moved around all the time while her mom looked for work, and they even, like, would move into hotels for periods of time. Stella became very sexually active at a really young age. She acted and looked way older than she was. She was very voluptuous and matured as a preteen and teen very noticeably she was a hot hottie and she was a wild child she got pregnant at 15 now she said that she got gang raped by her ex-boyfriend and his friends in a very brutal sexual assault apparently she went over to her boyfriend's house and when his mom left he invited some friends over and they bound her hands and feet and gang raped her later when this boyfriend found out she was pregnant he tried to force Stella to be with him and she basically told him to piss off she refused to have anything to do with him and he never came around again Stella did see I don't think that she really tricked a boy but she did get this boy named Ricky to say that he was her baby daddy and she had her baby Cynthia so it seems more likely that Ricky knew he wasn't the father but didn't care and he was going to act like the the father of baby Cynthia. That is the baby that Stella had October 1959. Little baby girl. Ricky promised he'd marry her when he was legally old enough to not need his parents' permission. They lived in an apartment together, I think, until like... Christmas of 1959, so only a couple months, baby Cindy was two months old when Stella decided that her and Cynthia were going to move to California with her mom, who was living with another abusive man, and he eventually left her, so it was just going to be Stella and baby Cindy and her mom again. Ricky decided even though he didn't want to be with Stella, he wanted baby Cindy, and that he was going to take her to court for full custody. They never spoke again, though, because Stella replied that she would press statutory rape charges if he did take her to court for baby Cindy. Ricky was barely old enough to get in trouble for having sex with Stella, by the way. Um, I mean, he was a dumb kid, too, y'all. He wasn't even old enough to get married without his parents' permission. So Stella got pregnant at 15. I would say that he was probably like 17. Um, We're in like a very small area of gray. You know what I mean? The story's not clear. So after that, Stella stayed with her mom who took care of baby Cindy a lot while Stella partied on. Stella continued to be very promiscuous and she became pregnant again in the summer of 1962. She was only 18, y'all. With her mom barely able to take care of them three, meaning herself Stella and baby Cindy she convinced her to put the baby up for adoption and it was actually a secret um Cindy never even saw the baby after she delivered him and they told everybody that she had a stillborn so like for 30 years not even her sibling knew that that baby did not come out stillborn that she adopted the baby boy out so party girl Stella then met Bob Strong, and he was infatuated with her she was sexy she was strong but soft and argumentative very queen bee material they married in 1964 little Cindy was five years old Stella was a stay-at-home Stella was pretty much always a stay-at-home she couldn't really keep a real job many people think that she probably prostituted Stella was though a really Kind of strict mom Um, Like Cindy wasn't allowed out of bed Until Stella woke up and got out of bed Herself She was also really selfish And not a very good or faithful wife Bob looked the other way for a long time. He said that he'd wake up and Stella would just be like gone in the middle of the night. And she always had these like really crazy lies and excuses. So him being a really passive person, he just let it go. He was kind of convinced that she was a nymphomaniac or something because he said she just couldn't get enough. November 4th, 1966, they had a baby together. Baby Leah. Now, Stella never favored Leah like she did Cindy, and when she got pregnant a third time, she actually had an abortion. So, like I said, Stella was really strict. Bob even thought she was really strict. Bob said that she'd want him to, like, whoop Cindy's butt for things he felt really bad about whooping her for, so he would even pretend, like he would tell her, okay, I'm going to hit the bed, and you yelp like I spanked you. In 1969, Cindy was in the third grade, and she got into her mom Stella's makeup. Stella said that she was spanking her and missed, but when Cindy went to school the next day, her legs were really, really bruised up. Stella had actually beaten her with a wooden pole. Stella was arrested and spent the night in jail for this. Bob said he thought maybe it was exaggerated, but when he picked up Cindy, he said Stella really did beat her pretty badly. CPS ordered that Stella went to group therapy upon her release, and Bob said that Stella did great in group therapy, and like she kind of ran the show actually, so it wasn't as therapeutic as it could have been. So at some point, Stella's cousins were going to move in with her and Bob. And they had their welfare checks transferred to Stella's address. Well, when they decided they weren't going to actually move to Stella's, that they were going to move to Texas instead, they reapplied for welfare. And the checks, though, were still going to Stella's for the time being. They were under the impression that Stella was going to mail them to them. But Stella started cashing them in. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Bob told her not to, but she did it anyway and no one knew where the money was going though like despite how poor their family was they were on welfare Stella did not use any of the money for the home or her family she did admit to her cousin whose welfare check she cashed in she admitted to her what she did and her cousin actually reported it so good for her I hate family abuse you know So in 1971, Stella pled guilty to forgery and she had to serve six months in jail and have a three-year probation following. While she was in jail, Bob fell in love with the neighbor, Pat. He still visited Stella in jail daily and he took excellent care of the girls. But the criminal charges were the last straw for Bob. Stella tried to get Bob back, but she couldn't. He had, like, moved on, moved on. He even moved in with Pat. So Stella, when she got out, went back to her usual. She partied all night and was a less than doting mother. She jumped from relationship to relationship, home to home, bar to bar, and bed to bed. It's believed Stella was a prostitute most of her life. Now, no one has said for sure, but it's very likely. Her younger daughter told their mom that they'd been touched by one of her boyfriends in an inappropriate way, And Stella responded by striking her daughter in the face and calling her a bunch of names. This was her daughter Leah that she had with Bob and Leah was only 14. So when I say that she was a less than doting mom, she really wasn't motherly at all. She kind of just left the kids to their own devices also. And she did a lot of things to Cindy and Leah in spite of Bob. Like, she knew that Bob loved Leah's curls, so one time she cut them off. At the start of the curl, she cut the ringlets off. And one time he got them tubes for their bikes, tires, and she threw them away. So she was just a really mean and spiteful person and and let this overlap into her parenting. The girls were also pretty much left to watch themselves. They missed over a month of school, and one was even at the bar with her mom once as a preteen. Bob had enough and petitioned for custody of Leah. He would have taken Cindy, but he had no legal rights. And Stella wasn't going to let Cindy go. She was possessive and, like, wanted her to take care of Cindy. But she didn't really want to take care of Cindy. She just wanted, like, possession of Cindy. It's really weird. So November 1973, Stella hurried up and packed up her girls and got in the car with her new boyfriend, the carnival carny this is the boyfriend that leah had told her mom had touched her inappropriately and she still got all them in the car with him and booked it to move to auburn washington before bob could hurry up and take leah stella and the girls lived out of her car and then in this like really shitty apartment stella was gone all the time at her boyfriend's trailer so much so that leah doesn't even really remember her mom taking care of her in this time frame but cindy was seven years older than leah and she took care of leah she would feed leah dress her steal her toys from the goodwill trash and they would even go ask neighbors for food if they needed it she made sure that they were fed and gonna survive Bob showed up at Stella's sister's with custody papers to pick up Leah and she went to live with Bob. Stella did not visit her daughter Leah for four years. Cindy didn't see Leah either and she actually ended up in foster care for a while until she eventually moved in with Bob too. But she was a wild child just like her mom. At 15 years old she was chasing men hanging out with hookers possibly prostituting and acting just like her mom it's really sad because cindy what really was just like stella and followed right her footsteps and bob watched it happen and he hated it it broke his heart So, in the meantime, Stella continued with her couch surfing, bed hopping, and bar jumping behavior. And this is where she met Bruce Nickel in 1974. This was at a tavern in Kent, Washington. Bruce was a good worker, but he had a really bad drinking problem Friday through Sunday. This is what they did together. They would just bar hop and drink. And then on September 11th, 1976, they eloped in Idaho. For some reason, Stella hadn't been very involved with her kids throughout these years while they lived at Bob's. It was December 1978 when Stella's oldest daughter, Cindy, had a baby. By the way, Cindy was relatively young. I think she was like 15. And she had to have her baby via C-section because of a herpes outbreak she had going on. And she decided to immediately after having the baby get a tubal litigation because one kid was enough. And when she called and told Stella, it really hurt her feelings because Stella just kind of expressed how much she wasn't ready to be a grandma. Cindy wasn't really a good mom either. She wanted to party a lot just like Stella had. But fortunately, Cindy had a friend named Dee who was sort of like a motherly figure who she and her daughter stayed with. And so Dee kind of took care of Cindy and Cindy's baby. In 1979, after five years of being together, Bruce decided it was time for him to quit drinking. Stella said it was time too that he quit drinking and he entered a rehab. It was only a month long inpatient Seattle rehab, but he never drank again although Stella had insisted that Bruce needed to stop drinking she really didn't like sober Bruce because he never wanted to go out he was just boring she thought he worked out of town a lot so she cheated and partied when he was away and that kept her suffice for a long time but it really annoyed her that when he was there he just kind of wanted to like stay in and watch tv people who don't drink don't want to go to a bar and that's all stella did her whole life was like bar bar hop you know what i mean so bruce comes home june 5th 1986 it was a typical day and he popped four excedrin like he did every day then he went out on the deck to birdwatch and smoke a cigarette when he suddenly came in and collapsed on the floor wheezing very calmly and rather emotionless stella called 911 and an ambulance came medics said though like at first they didn't even know if they had the right house because stella was so somber and calm she didn't even seem flustered in the least bit bruce was on the ground kind of seizing gasping wheezing changing colors literally dying and stella was very calm she kept telling paramedics that he took Excedrin which they didn't find relative at all to the situation so they just kind of blew it off and were confused as to why she kept repeating it and she didn't stay in the room with Bruce even like she calmly answered questions got up walked into the kitchen grabbed the Excedrin and they were like what the fuck why does she keep talking about Excedrin she didn't seem out of sorts at all Bruce died shortly after arriving at Harborview Medical Center. Okay, so here's the thing. Stella had been thinking of how to kill Bruce for a while now. She took out a $70,000 policy with a $100,000 accidental payout, and she rented books from her library on poisoning. She'd remembered the Chicago cyanide poisonings and how no one was caught, so she was going to copy it. She crushed up cyanide, put it in the Excedrin capsules, and gave them to Bruce. He had headaches regularly, and she knew he was going to take four after work. She even fetched them for him that day. She thought the autopsy was going to find the cyanide. They'd find the Excedrin, and they'd do a recall of the drug just like they did with the Tylenol. She would get the extra $100,000 from the insurance policy, and it'd be a done deal. No one would know it was her. Within days of burying Bruce, Stella was already at the bars. What a psycho. So, when Stella got Bruce's autopsy report, she couldn't believe the dumbasses ruled Bruce's death natural and listed emphysema as the culprit. Oh man. Okay, so she wasn't worried to cover her ass. She laced three other bottles in town. She just needed somebody to die. Then she could raise suspicion that Bruce was poisoned too for more insurance money. So she was just going to stick to that plan, wait it out, and when someone else died, she would be able to collect in on Bruce's remaining insurance. It was Susan Snow that died, and her report did show that she was poisoned with cyanide. This was a big deal. It immediately was being reported, Excedrin was recalled, and an investigation was launched. A really big investigation, like the FBI was called in and everything. Susan got the news of the poisoning, and the Excedrin recalls, she immediately called the police. She'd been waiting for this to happen so she could prove Bruce died of unnatural causes and get that money. Officers arrived and Sue welcomed them into her trailer. The long, dark-haired woman, who looked like she'd had a lot of miles on her, gave them two bottles of Excedrin. Same lot number as Susan Snow's Excedrin. Investigators did find it crazy that of 15,000 bottles screened, Stella had two of five contaminated bottles which she purchased on opposite ends of town two weeks apart like what are the chances that she would have gotten both of those bottles something investigators did find was the lab analysis actually found small green crystals mixed within the cyanide somehow they managed to figure out it was an algae killer that is used in fish tanks When Stella had invited those investigators in to give them the Excedrin, they remembered she had a large fish tank with angel fish in it. They tracked down where she bought the algae killer and the clerk remembered selling it to Stella actually and she recalled telling Stella to crush the crystals up first. Investigators knew they could nail Stella. This had to be it. They were thinking that she mixed the cyanide in whatever container that she normally crushes up the algae, and she didn't clean it out all the way, or there still was residue left behind that cross-contaminated. Looking closer at Stella and the life insurance policy she was about to cash in on, now totaling $175,000 possibly, They realized that Bruce's signature was forged. At this point, not only are police suspicious of Stella, so is her daughter, Cindy. See, Cindy knew Stella really well, and she knew that Stella had checked out library books about poison. She'd also known Stella to make several comments about wanting to kill Bruce, and sometimes they had hypothetical conversations about it. Cindy took this information to the police. Some people think that Cindy was in on this plan to kill Bruce with her mother, but that Cindy found out she would get more money for turning her mother in than her mom would give her from Bruce's life insurance policy. Remember, there's a $300,000 reward for information. Around the same time that Cindy came forward, Stella was scheduled to go in for a polygraph, which she failed miserably... Investigators subpoenaed the library and they found that the books Stella checked out were deadly harvest, human poisoning from native plants, and several world encyclopedias for the letter C. I forgot about world encyclopedias, but in the letter C encyclopedias, they found fingerprints in the cyanide sections. Cindy agreed that she would testify against her mother if she did not receive the death penalty, And in exchange, Cindy did get $250,000 of the $300,000 reward. A grand jury indicted Stella on a new charge, which was causing death with product tampering. Stella has maintained her innocence, and after a month-long trial, the jury was out for deliberation for five days. June 1988, though, Stella was found guilty and sentenced to 90 years. Her first possibility of parole was in 2018. She was not released and likely won't be. Her mandatory release date is 2040. But she was never charged with the specific murders of Bruce or Susan, just the tampering. This is why there is so much anti-tampering things on medication now, by the way. But, because she wasn't charged with those murders, if she did come up for a really early parole, they would likely come down and charge her for those murders. After the trial, Stella still has maintained that she's innocent and that it was Cindy's fault she was in prison. One year into her sentence, Stella's mom died, and she did not attend her mother's funeral. She said that she was too embarrassed of being photographed and that photographers would post her photos and change the whole tone of her mother's funeral. It took the courts a long time to hunt down Cindy to give her her $250,000 because she had the same nomadic lifestyle that her mom Stella had and a very bad drug addiction. It's very sad but with Stella as a mom, Cindy really didn't stand a chance. Cindy pretty much just took off after Stella's trial. She quit communications with friends and family. And for years, people close to the family still think Cindy was an accomplice. Even investigators think that Cindy knows more than she let on. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. I think it's so crazy that... Had Stella not pushed to get the extra $100,000 life insurance policy money, she probably would have never gotten caught and I couldn't understand why until I looked into the Chicago Tylenol murders. It seems to me that there was way too many possibilities of where this could have started at. Plus, I don't think surveillance is what it is today back then I just don't think that there was as much surveillance where you could clock in people walking in and out of stores at certain times or catch them you know in the pharmaceutical aisle at a certain time on camera so with that being said I am so much happier about tamper proof proofing than I was before doing this episode and I do think that Cindy had something to do with with the murder of Bruce but I think that Cindy's life is punishment enough and having Stella as a mom was punishment enough so I feel oddly justice was served for her as well all right guys I will see y'all next week bye